What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. Guys, your Uncle Dave is back after weeks away. All of our programming is brought to you by evalbloodanalysis.com. You can get your lab work done by Dave if you're in the UK. We're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for our Canadians' great deals that change week to week. Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. they got all sorts of great health stacks, especially if you're on the... Uh, the old super supplements, you're going to want to look into Strom. And of course, we are brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK on high quality protein powders, uh, every kind of carbohydrate you can think of, everything under the sun. Hit me up if you have any questions. Like I said, use our code THINK over at truenutrition.com. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. I've got a couple of Patreon questions today. Dave, welcome back. Hello. Right. You put a video up. Yeah. Of Mr. Mr. Scott McNally's year in review. No, I didn't actually. There was a video on your Facebook feed. Okay. That you commented on how you were so blessed with what had happened in 2023 and the experiences you had. That's actually that's actually that was my wife's post. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, she tagged me in it, so it showed up on my wall so, too. So why were blood, sweat, and gears on there? Blood, sweat, and gear. She, oh, she was on. Uh, she was on. It's just bodybuilding this year. Oh, it, yeah. So yeah. she's been on drugs and stuff as well. Not this year. She wasn't this year, Dave. She was because we spoke about testing and. Oh, we did. Well, you're gonna yes. have to pick that. So you're no, saying? No, are you I'm saying that? You. Are you it's saying you. that you Victoria? Not, yeah. <laughs> didn't she didn't want to associate with you publicly? No, no, Is that no, what you're saying? Um, no, I don't want to speak to her. She's dead to me. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, listen, guys, we're going to talk about Dave's wild trip. He was out um, running free with the elephants in, in Thailand. We'll get to that later, though. Family. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that later. We were going to get into a topic first, and you guys left us so many listener questions. Uh, we're going to take all those as well. So if you guys have any questions for the next show, then comment below. Plus, comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost our program in the algorithm. So we had a guy saying... Yeah, I prefer the alga blah blah. I think that's much better. Can we say that from now? The alga blah blah. I did have a thought. Speaking of which, but I'll, I'll get was back it? to it. I want to launch our question. Um, yeah, so was I'll keep that in mind. So here's the deal: we had a guy who had written in. This was a comment on YouTube. He said that he used 300 tests for his first ever cycle. He got fantastic mm -hmm. gains. He said, "What should I do next?" There's a lot to this because. In my thought, if you got really good progress with 300 tests, why does our mindset go to what should you do next? Why don't you do what you did? First of all, that would be my first thought. But it also leads into something else, Dave, is when do we know when it's time to add more? So kind of a two-part question there. Uh, first of all, what do you say? The 300 test, is that, that's, that's a viable cycle, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could do it again. Um... I think it's just human nature, isn't it? That uh, when we get something that's good, we instinctively want more. Well, I mean, it, it's what feeds a lot of what we do. It's what feeds bodybuilding at the end of the day, because we want more muscle. Um, so I, I don't, you know, there's, it's, it's probably part of the human condition is that one. But uh, I would say three, again, is definitely considering. Um or a slight increase to, I, I'd probably be a little bit reluctant to just say go up to four. I think if you were going to go up, I'd go up to five. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, but I think 300 again, if, if he's had... The thing is with cycles, we look at cycles sometimes and, and we'll do a cycle and we, we might get great results. And, and so our mindset is I'll either do the same thing again or I'll do the same thing but higher doses and I'll get even better results. Right. Which is often not the case because you you can replicate the cycle, but you don't always replicate the mindset. You don't always repli- replicate the environment, you know, the stresses of life that get into the way. And, and when you look at the success of a cycle, don't just look at the drugs. Look at what else was going on in your life. Because, you know, I've, I've had cycles that have been amazingly progressive because more everything else was in place. Yeah. Over, over it just being the drugs. Uh, and then I've replicated that cycle again, and it's been absolutely garbage. Um, and it's because, you know, there was life stresses or work stresses and other factors around. So when you look at success of a cycle, you've got to look at the totality of everything else that was all the other factors that were going around. If you do a cycle and you don't get results, usually that triggers people to up the dose. Yeah. But look at, were the contributing factors? Were you in the right place? And and that's worth considering as well when you look at doing a cycle. It's like, what have I got coming up? Have I got a holiday? It's, you know, is there something going to be going on that's going to cause me problems? Um, and so you need to plan around life a little bit as well. So... And how, how tuned in is your training? How tuned in is your nutrition? I know everybody always says like, oh, my training's great, you know, but the reality is if you're not growing, you should be growing gear, no gear, right? So to if- an extent, yeah, there should be, there should be, if you can't make progress naturally, then any progress you make anabolically will be fragile. Yeah. Um, but I would say it is worth replicating a cycle. If you can replicate the environment. Yeah. If you've done a cycle of 300, but you know coming into your next cycle, there's work challenges, there's this, there's that, there's the other, then you know that either one, it's not the best time to do one, or two, that dose is not going to give you the same results because you've got too many other factors playing. Or heck, there's another situation for you, Dave. How about this? Because uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of times the guys I've worked with uh, that compete at post show, you know, we 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 get back into focusing on health and when and, and maybe retool things, get them ready for the next season, and then we you know run that first off season cycle, take a break, we run a second off season cycle, just because of like when you said where are you at, it's not just like where are you at with your job and vacations and stuff, but like where's your body at? Because bouncing off of a contest and then going into an off season, that first cycle, it's going to be very different than the second cycle. You know what I mean? I, I tend to find with cycles as well, you'll get one that's very productive and then the following one tends to be more consolidation. Yeah you don't get the same level of growth. Um, and I always find that you will always grow better off the back of a cup. Absolutely. Um, you know, you can make it, if you do a proper cup, comp or no comp, and you don't need drugs for the cup. And this is the other thing that frustrates me with people. I'm dieting, I'm going to get down to maybe top end of single digits, but sort of 10%, 9%. I don't really need drugs to achieve that. 
they make it easier uh, and they make it a little bit comfortable but I don't really need them and if I don't use drugs for that when I reverse out the back of that I can hit a really good cycle and get some tremendous growth um and and i but i do tend to find with off seasons when you go into a second off season cycle it's never usually as productive as the first i agree the other the other problem is the further up the ladder you are the less you're gonna have in the way of results and the more chemicals and effort it's going to take to achieve those results and that's i always liken that to engines and horsepower to take a car from 200 to 500 horsepower creates a marked increase in performance for what is relatively not a huge horsepower gain. But when you go from, say, 500 to 800, the performance improvement is nowhere near the same. Um, so when you start getting up the top end of what you're genetically capable of doing, the gains do slow, they do get harder, and they do require a shitload more drugs to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, got another question here. I'm going to jump straight to it. Uh, Toby from Patreon had asked us, what is the minimum, excuse me, minimum effective dose of NPP? Study wise, it's been as low as I think it's been as low as like 20, 30 milligrams uh, for aid with tendons and joints and that sort of stuff okay um muscular wise i would say for a male i got a number in my head i'm wondering if you're going to say the same thing i i to be honest you're going to be looking at around 75 to one to uh, at least twice if not three times a week okay Um, so so you're saying like between two to three hundred yeah, I think 50 is a little bit just too low. If you are super on point, if you are really, really on the on the goal, then then 150 a week total would probably see something. Uh, but I think it's going to start to really come into its own when you start getting around the 300. I would I would agree with that. Of, of course, depending on where test is, the number I had in my head was 200. But that said. The place I found NPP to be effective is using it as just a, a little additional push from a 19 nor um, while focusing more on test-based compounds like test at a higher dose, EQ at a higher dose, and then some NPP strategically placed because it's faster acting. You know, we can get it in there a lot quicker than we can get that. We can get that built up faster than we can get the EQ built up. Um, mm-hmm. maybe in a case of like a experience level cycle, or maybe 750 to a thousand test, 700 to 800 EQ, and then 300 MPP. So I, I'm not a huge fan of using NPP on its own as in test NPP. I could see doing it. I have worked with guys who've wanted to do that. We've done just fine with it. It's just not my, it's not my favorite thing to do, I guess. I, I I find MPP useful for females, um, and I also find it useful for older trainers. Okay. So we can add in a very small amount, and where I have used very low doses of MPP is in someone who's older, 
who just is because it, it, it's an anti-inflammatory effect from from nandrolone that just can help with the older gentleman from the joint aches and pains and uh, just the general rigors that you're going to get from training not specifically injury based but more just wear and tear okay yeah i I could see that i could see that being a good place um overall though yeah my, my place where i'd used it and seen the best results would be something like that using it in conjunction with other compounds um, and, and I'll tell you what, man, in my personal experience, when I had made my best progress and that was that was going from like a, it was like a 14 pound gain from one contest, like stage weight to the next. Mm-hmm. That's that was my cycle was around. I believe it was around a gram of test 700 or 800 uh, EQ and then 300 MPP. Something along those lines. I, I just I found that combo in particular worked really well. And at that dosing, we didn't need to use a lot of MPP. I've heard people running like, you know, 500, 700 a week. I feel like that's a lot. That's that's a strong dose of MPP. I think I think the problem with that is as well is it's just a lot of oil volume. I mean, if mm. you're going to start getting into those sort of levels, put Decker in. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, you start to lose the advantage of a fast actor when you, 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 you're looking at those sort of doses. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, with that. And you might you might as well just move to a slower, longer lasting Esther. All right. We've got one uh here that says, uh, gents, would you prefer low test only cycle, such as five hundred milligrams of test and longer duration, twenty to twenty five weeks, or a higher test dosage cycle, but less weeks, say twelve weeks uh for a cycle. Um uh, it would be good to hear the pros and cons from you guys. Love the show. Thanks for the education. Personally, I don't find this a, a very good question to answer in the sense that there's so many variables down to the individual, how they react, cycle management, and everything else. Hmm. And I don't think there can be a straight through reflection here. Uh, but on the face of it, Within reason, I would say the higher shorter duration over the slow burn. But I wouldn't say that 500 tests for 25 weeks is a low cycle anyway. Yeah, relatively compared to a gram, you know, it's... It is, it but, is but 20, 25 weeks is a long time. And the impact of 500 for 25 weeks over, say, a gram for 12 weeks is going to be significantly higher. I'd agree with that. Uh, so, um, all things being equal, I would lean more towards the higher shorter than the lower longer. Having Have a sneezing attack. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whew, I'm back. I'm a little lightheaded. Whew. Yeah, 500 test. 500 tests that used to be the like the common go-to starting cycle for anybody you know mm-hmm. you remember yeah. that uh i do maybe 15 years ago be like what are you gonna do 500 tests was there ai in it maybe was there novadex in it maybe was there pct absolutely 15 years ago and i remember dave 15 20 almost 20 years ago now the guys in the UK were a lot more conservative with their dosing, whereas the average starting cycles on the message boards 
like Muscle Talk. Uh, if you remember MuscleTalk.co.uk, it was 500 tests. The guys in the U.S. average were like more like 750. And and over time, I got away from the message boards. And when I went back, I saw that the U.K. had caught up and surpassed what guys in the U.S. were saying for a while. Yeah, I, I think I think we. There's drug usage trends. Um, some of these trends are dose-related. Some of these trends are compound-related. Some of these trends are auxiliary-related or ancillary-related, depending on how you want to say it. Um, some of them are grounded in some decent reasoning, and others are absolute bollocks and people just following sheep for the sake of following sheep. Um, but it still goes in cycles. There's very little that's particularly new, but there is fine-tuning of existing ideas that does improve and can improve the effectiveness of, of cycles or the impact of the negative impact of cycles. <clears throat> but, yeah, you, you tend to find you'll go through a period of higher usage and then all of a sudden there's this almost kickback to that where everything's like, oh, no, it must be a lot lower. It must go a lot lower doses. And then there'll somebody will break mold with that and go, well, actually, if you want to achieve this, you're going to have to be somewhere up here. And and so we get then a more of an acceptance that higher doses are viable. Yeah. Um, and it just seems to move in cycles. And it, it, it's... It's very heavily influenced by various people at various times, you know. I mean, John Peters has probably had one of the biggest impacts on steroids in UK usage as a, as a singular individual. Hmm. Um, I would have said that's probably waned a little bit now when there's more of a broad spectrum of several people influencing usage. But th there's definitely, you see trends and you'll see coaches pick up on those trends because they want to feel their current when you, right. know, you actually sat them down and go, why are you choosing this? And they, they wouldn't be able to give you an answer. Well, there's kind of a peer pressure thing as a coach almost that, it, like you said, they want to stay current. And if you don't follow those trends, then new clients who have, you know, just poured over YouTube and mm -hmm. read and read and social media and everything, and they're learning all the stuff about gear. Then they say, "Wait a minute, why are you doing things that way? That's not what people do anymore." You know, it's mm -hmm. there. There is. It's interesting. There is a pressure. I can speak for it mm -hmm. myself as a coach, which I I have to be aware of that. Sometimes some of the newer ideas that can be beneficial, but you know, they it, it's not cut and dry, black and white. Like I had mentioned on another program. Um, you know, everybody's talking about Masteron as this great tool for estrogen control. Uh, basically, it's like this other than estrogen control, it's an inert uh, substance that has no negative effects. And yet I found that, you know, after a year or two of experimenting with it as an AI uh, for estrogen control, that it doesn't necessarily have the same black and white effect that an actual AI does. No, and when you look at it uh, chemically, it's more prone, the the um, metabolites are more prone to work as a serum than they are as an AI. But I know plenty of people that have, that are sensible people, Steve being one, actually, um, that have seen a negative reduction, you know, have seen a significant reduction in estrogen 
in a test-only environment when they've added Mastodon to it. Sure, so as it, have it I. Def- yeah, so but- it definitely has an AI effect, but it also has a sermon-like effect in some people. It's not that clear-cut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Primo. Everybody rants on about Primo. Oh, it's safe. It doesn't do anything wrong. And yet it is the most abhorrent of every steroid we take for trashing HDL doesn't seem to do anything else that's particularly negative but hdl it absolutely hammers more than anything else Hmm. there is argument as to how significant that is uh, and i i agree that there's definitely some debate around the importance and the the impact of, of of lipid levels but i'd rather steer on the safe side even if it's a little bit dated, then start jumping on some of the new ideas that don't have any real longevity in the sense of being tried, tested, and proven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that things are worth experimenting with and figuring out, but mm. yeah, it's and, and then you can kind of draw your own conclusions. How about this one? Hello, Dave and Scott. It says, I'm new to the cycle. Okay, I'm new to the cycle and would like you to uh, your recommendation in here. Um, if you were on a 500 to 600 milligram of test cycle, um, and if you had one compound to add, what would it be and why? wonder what his goals are. Yeah. Um, depending on where you are, I would go one of two basic routes. Uh, one would be mast. If you're looking for a more lean, slow, Recomp sort of approach. If you're looking for an all-out bulk, I would reduce the test by half, and then I'd throw some Decker at it. That would be my initials. Okay, so like 253 test, and then what, 253 Decker? Yeah, maybe even four, depending on where he is on his... I mean, if this is is his first cycle, I'd already be saying, look, let's bring it down anyway, because I think six is a bit high. Yeah. Uh, but if this is the cycle to follow that, then I could see maybe a slightly higher dose. Yeah. But, yeah. So. Yeah. A lot of times guys get on that first cycle. They start out conservative. Then they get you know, three weeks in, five weeks in, and they're like, oh, man, I really like this. What else should I add to this? <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, why don't you run this one through? Because a, a big part, too, I think about that cycle, that first cycle is seeing how you respond afterward. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just the progress you make but how do you do i mean maybe you're going back to trt afterward cool maybe you're recovering if you got to recover how well you recover is going to be just as important as how much progress you made if not more you know yeah it's it's very easy to get giddy um and one of the effects of anabolics cognitively that's been looked at is this reduced risk perception uh, so um, an increased aversion for increased it, risk-taking behavior increases with the use of anabolics. So it can be a little bit self-propelling in that sense. Yeah, I could see that. All right, what else do we have here? Um, Scott, Why is everybody a- coming up a Facebook user on the messages? So there's a thing you have to... It, it, it's it's a weird thing because they're in a it's a private group the think big group and they have to accept this new software update they have to there's a think a link at the top uh, they have oh, to okay. click on that and allow give them give the program permission to share their identity something along those lines um 
It changes, though. The software is always getting new updates, so I don't even worry about it. But thanks, everybody, for commenting. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Um, almost related. Scott, would you say it's easier to lose muscle when on PCT or TRT? Some in-depth details would be much appreciated. There is no question it'd be a lot easier to lose muscle on PCT before we stabilize your natural test levels. Would you agree? I would, but I would also say that that's on on a on a theory paperwork exercise. Without doubt, TRT is going to be much more muscle preservative than PCT. But when you're only looking at a very short window overall, um, if PCT is successful, then the real world impacts are going to be quite minimal. There's not going to be a huge difference between the two. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like in my experience, there's in, in my personal experience and then just seeing guys that I've worked with and then just guys across the board in the gym over the years, cycles in PCT, and I, I'm, I don't want to advocate everybody goes to cruise or TRT, but going to PCT is kind of like uh, three steps forward, one and a half steps back or two steps back. I, I, I will disagree, but you know each to their own i will disagree on that one uh, okay. i've got plenty of clients that have pct'd and held all the strength and size and had very little weight fluctuation as well yeah but so were, the were they problem, not holding extra glycogen in water from the cycle then yeah so that like i said the, the very little weight fluctuation i didn't say not okay okay um so you know you'll see a three four maybe five pound drop if if that and, and that'll be the end of it but that's a drop initially and then it doesn't drop anymore i i don't get me wrong i've seen a few people that have just literally lost weight hand over fist uh even going down onto trt i've seen that happen with with certain people but i, I do feel that the the meth i think too many people and i see this a lot change what they do when they're not on cycle mm. and i think that i've always believed and i was always taught and i stick by it what built it will keep it for absolutely um and i think too many people take the foot off the gas drop the intensity you're gonna see some form well actually usually i used to see a strength increase when i came off cycle um uh, for the initial two three weeks uh, okay. just as stress levels dropped and I felt fresher. And then sure. I'd see things start to to come down and level out a little bit. But um, I personally don't feel a lot of the... If those elements are on point, I don't see huge dips with clients 95% of the time. I think it depends on how long you need to take off between as well. That's the other thing I was saying. But there is a, there seems to be a point, and it does seem to vary for every person, where you'll hold, and I've even seen this with people where they've come off and not PCT'd and have crash test. You know, the test is single digits. And they'll hold and they'll hold and they'll hold, and it can be six weeks, it can even be eight weeks, and then they'll get to a point and then they take a nosedive. Yeah. So... I do think that the window of TRT or the window of when you're going to be off plays a significant role in how long you will maintain what you've built for. And there will come a point, and I tend to be somewhere around the two to three month mark where you'll see a dip. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
um, where I find a lot of people, if you if you sort of shorter periods or you know up to about eight weeks, um, you'll find that they actually cope and weather it quite well. And my thought is like uh, for somebody that wants to focus on maintaining their natural testosterone levels, I think they generally need more time. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. You come off cycle, you do your PCT, and then you need a good chunk of time off to, to really regain and, and hold those natural levels. I think you had mentioned before that a lot of people who do PCT end up with sl- lower and lower test levels where they will probably end up on a TRT down the road yeah, anyway, right? It, if you're planning to do, I would have said for most people, if they're going to do anything from sort of six to eight cycles and above, yeah. there's a very, very strong likelihood that they will be TRT dependent. Yeah. Very strong. Uh, but it's not just cycle length as well. I mean, I it can be single. I mean, I know I spoke to some today. Okay. They've been on 10 months. Oof, okay. Um, and that was started at half a mil, then ended up doing a mil. You know, and, and then went down a little bit and then came back up a little bit and have sort of messed around between this sort of half cycle, half TRT dosing. Yeah. Uh, but they've been on for an extended period of time. And I've, I've said to them today, look, recovery could be difficult here because yeah. you've been shut down for so long. So it, it's, you know, repetitive cycles or extended periods of shutdown are always going to make recovery more more difficult. Yeah. It's just the nature of what it is. Um, and if you PCT and then test, you can start to see a downward trend and then you can make a decision, do I do I stay off for a bit longer this time? But there is, there is a huge amount of influence around what you do training and diet. Um, for sure. And so many people take the foot off the gas when they come off cycle. Yeah, um, and they'll they'll even self justify like, oh, my recovery recovery's not as good now. I'm not on gear or or this that or the other is not as good because I'm like, well, yeah, but your strength is going to reduce because you don't have the anabolics in your system, so your recovery is going to set to that. You're not trying to recover to anabolic levels of strength. Yeah, You're trying to recover to what's left after that. You know, so. I, I don't believe in changing training post and pre or, or around cycles at all. Uh, and I think if, like I say, if what built it will keep it, but there is a, there will be a point in time where it becomes unlikely to maintain. Otherwise I'd still be walking around at fucking God knows what size, you know? Um, well, I suppose training would have helped keep it as well. That That's something I didn't really do enough of, but um, yeah, I, I do think, the drop off is is scaremongered a little bit more than it needs to be. Yeah, I'd, I'd still I'd, I'm with you, and I think that my I think where we differ is I was imagining envisioning longer chunks of time. You know, maybe doing two cycles per year, that type of thing, yeah. where you can com- completely recover. You know, spend a bunch of time natural, get back in. Um, but I, I think that if you were to try to cut it close, you know say keep those windows shorter but then you're you're leading yourself to trt faster anyway though i don't know someone someone's just put up a comment about people putting too much attention to gear where they are missing the big player which is food yeah yeah that is true i couldn't disagree more you don't think that people are the i yeah i i think that is true i think i think the big player is training 
Well, listen, here's a thought, because I here's something I didn't, I was considering bringing up while you were talking about this, because you were talking about the training getting pulled back. The food also oftentimes comes back. We're not going to yes. be able to partition the food as well uh, once we get off cycle, right? And mm-hmm. now we're not as pumped up and full looking. So as that pump goes down, you still have the same amount of body fat as you did while you were on cycle. But now, you know, you just don't look as good. I think there's a tendency of wanting to pull that food back. I don't know. I, I, I think that for some people, it, it is a thing. I think that they do end up cutting that yeah, training no, I, back like you're saying, but then cutting the food back too. But you think that if you were to pick one, you think the training is the ultimate most important. Well, all right, let me put it this way. Uh, and I'm probably being a little bit extreme here. Okay. Best diet in the world. Non-effective training. Am I growing? You would definitely be limited. You know, you'd be highly limited. You could take it to a. You could take it to a degree. Seventy percent diet. Good. Good protein intake. Bit dodgy on the carbs. Probably a bit too many simple sugars, and probably a bit too many fats. But training perfect. Will I grow? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would think that training would trump food in that scenario, and and that's and people go on. Oh, well, look at a lot of the eighties bodybuilders. I mean, they they were Ian Harrison's a prime example actually, and Ian will tell you this himself. He he he, he made sure he got enough protein in from good quality service at sources, and then there was fucking tubs of ice cream and all sorts of shit going in there yeah. to fuel his workouts. Um, and I'm not suggesting you do that because, you know, the better the diet, the better the health, the better the fitness, the better recovery, the better quality physique you're going to build. There's no denying that. Sure. But I just, I do, I have this, and this is quite funny because Broderick completely disagrees with me. He thinks training just needs to be done. I used to feel uh, that way years ago. I used and, to feel that and way. He, he's, he's very much that you will grow once drugs are introduced on very mediocre training and, and I completely disagree with it. It's something we let's say we argue because we don't argue, but it's something we differ on quite strongly. I, I would agree. I would lean toward your side, Dave, for the average individual. There are the people who have good genetics. And if you, it, it, you know what? I mean, it, it depends too. Could you drug a, a person with average training hard enough to get better results? Absolutely. You could, mm-hmm. you know, to a but point. I, yeah. There's, there's always going to be a point of diminishing return where, negatives that's going to start to outweigh the progress but yeah you you drugs do enable lower effort or lower genetics or lower adherence to be somewhat compensated there's no denial which is why drugs are so popular because people can still make progress by putting piss poor effort into it yeah um that's why steroids have become so popular especially like trend yeah because they allow someone with and this isn't a dig, and, and people will take this as very negative, and it's not. I'm not having a go. It's just the reality. So it will allow people who just do not have the genetics to be that disciplined or to work that hard in the gym to still achieve progress. Um, and this is what's opened bodybuilding up to such a wide array of people. Hmm. Because originally bodybuilding was very niche, but it was also very much the guys that would bust their ass in the gym, that would live like monks with diet and would be extremely religious in how they lived their lifestyle. Yeah. The popularization of drugs has allowed people to still be bodybuilders, 
but not adapt that mantra that was a traditional from the 70s and 80s. Um, And so we've had this massive explosion in bodybuilding of people getting involved in it because I can make progress, (laughs) but not be not live that lifestyle to the extent that that uh, my predecessors have um and drugs have opened that up massively and it you know it's not people go oh you, you you're having a go and i'm I'm not at all i mean i have a piss poor adherence to low food i can eat it I, I don't like being hungry i never have done i never will do so hence why i'm fat um you know it's just being honest about what you are willing to do in order to achieve a certain goal uh, and um, there are there are cheat codes out there yeah you know what i've seen is I, i've seen three <coughs> different three different types of mindsets and i'll i'll say in coaches but this could be in bodybuilders as well you have your food focused guys your drug focused guys and your training focused guys hmm. you'll see the guys who are like diets everything you know um a good i think example of that is Dave Polsonella, who was from uh, uh, the Raise the Bar uh, video series. He mm-hmm. was an extreme stickler with his foods, and he obviously the dude trained really hard, but training wasn't like his driver. To him, in his mind, it was the food was the number one thing, you know. And then there are guys that are in the training camp, you know. And then I, I think, though, if we can all, and then of course, there's the gear guys. I think if we could try to look at all three of them, oh, that's, that's, well, that's the, you know, that's the that's trifecta. A- that's the perfect trilogy, isn't it? All three. But yeah. I think out of them, the training um, is the one that's probably... <sighs> Neglect is too strong a word, and I don't really want to go... I think misunderstood would be a better way of putting it. I, I think people don't realise how impacting and how much the right effective training for them can massively improve their progress. It's um, here's the thing though, Dave. You can't, and I get it, and I agree. I know Dusty Henshaw would agree with you, and he had said even that of those three elements, you can only have two of them at any real given time. He thought he thought that you, like you can't always be pushing all three: food, gear, and training. But you can always push training, even when you're dieting and the food isn't there. That's where the gear is there. In your off season, he wouldn't rely on the gear as much. He'd rely on the training still, and then he has more food to push it. Um, yeah, I forget where I was going with that though. I had something else to say. It, it completely it completely left my brain. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's 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 these are topics that will be debated oh. throughout the history of bodybuilding. You know, people people have a favour, uh, and I think until you personally start to experiment, and genetics play a role in this as well. But until you personally start to experiment, you will never know where the optimization is for you. Um, but the one thing. I find within the industry is you get a little spike in training interest like you did with Ben Polowski when he first started really hit the scene. Yeah. There was a big, big spike around Ben. And there's been a few other trainers that have popped up now and again. But in general, people very rarely ask for training advice. They always ask for drug or diet advice. Here's Um, what I had. So you can easily measure gear. And what's a like quote unquote good cycle? You can easily measure food and what's a quote unquote good diet, but it's hard to measure that intensity. 
you know mm-hmm. so it, it's hard to it's hard to say like you can get more out of that and have people understand it if i were to tell you hey you can get more protein in your diet and you'll grow better it's like oh okay i got it i just need to add more protein or more supplements you know you can add more supplements but if i were to tell you hey dave you need more intensity in your training you need to work harder it's hard to put that into a, a direct correlation is is to on paper what you need to do yeah, no, I agree with that. It's definitely it, it's it's something that's very experience based and rather than numbers. It takes time. It takes life a lifetime to figure that out. You know. Mm-hmm. All right. How about this one? Um, mid to end of gaining cycle. Every muscle group feels tight twenty four seven. Kind of a super mild pump and more so after eating a carb meal. Um, Along with slow weight gain, uh, I would call this a very successful run. Have you guys experienced this before? Oh, yeah. Uh, I've I've even experienced when things have been on point, it felt like I was growing literally almost daily. Yeah. Uh, Full, tight, strong, continuously good workouts weights going up every session literally feeling clothes get tighter after a couple of weeks and then going up to a, you know and, and and i mean i i have had periods of of relatively very well the first uc was 65 pounds in six-ish months just over it's huge man yeah, I mean, it was it was literally two pound a week. It sounds like he's talking about insulin sensitivity. Yeah, there is that. You will find if you are on point with insulin sensitivity, you'll be very full, um, and you will. I mean, you'll find stuff like also you eat and your temperature will go skyrocket. You'll start burning like a furnace. Yes, um, uh, and uh, things like that. It, it can be quite impressive when that's on point. I love that. And you do, you do feel like you're walking around like you've got a pump 24-7. How about this one from Mr. Bladesman, 19, excuse me, 1889. He says, uh, question for the next show, lads. What do you think about um, using the end weeks of an off-season push-up cycle to tighten up body comp ahead of maintenance? I'm 14 weeks into cycle. Plan uh, to use the last five to six weeks to drop calories slightly and tighten up so that I'm in a good body comp for maintenance, not maintaining a fat off-season look. Sorry, that somehow didn't register in my brain at all. You'll have to tell me again. Uh, basically, he was just asking, so he's doing an off-season growth phase, bulk cycle, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. thinking about taking the last five to six weeks to actually cut, recomp, pull the food back some before the cycle's over, and he's still supported on gear um, so that he's in a leaner composition going into the off or going into the downtime. Yeah, I would say to an extent, I would be, I'd be careful not to get too aggressive. Even though you are on gear, your tissue, particularly the more recent tissue that you've put in in the previous two or three weeks, is still particularly fragile. Yeah. Uh, it still takes a little bit of time, even with drugs involved, for your body to go, right, okay, this is part of me now and I'm keeping hold of it. So I'd be more tempted to hold food 
and possibly add a bit of cardio and go more that route than I would to be starting to pull food back hard. Uh, if you're only pulling it back a little bit, I don't think you'll have any issues. But I, I would be a little bit reluctant to pull back hard. Uh, and I'd be more more going down the lines of I'm going to increase output from a calorie point of view rather than decrease food. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a perfect ideal situation would be not to have gotten that fat to begin with, you know, where you don't well, have to yeah. tighten up. But it's yeah. that as well, yeah. But we all have to figure that out, you know. I think that every single person I know, including myself, has gotten taken it too far, gotten too fat. But hey, if, if if you do that, then you at least know that you, to a degree, that you got the most out of it. It's not like you, you, you don't have to worry about not that you maybe you didn't need enough food for that. Yeah. I I don't know what you're talking about, Scott. I can't relate to that. So, how's Christmas cabbage? Did he go on that trip with you? By the way, no, he didn't. No, no, I left him at home to look after the cat. Can I use ten to twenty units of Lantus with two fifty test each week without growth and still see results in the context of a fat loss diet? Why? It would be my question. There is theory. Um, I've never put it in practice. I have seen a couple of clients that have run that if you use insulin, you lower BG levels quickly, and therefore your body will turn to fat metabolism much quicker than if your BG levels uh, stayed elevated because the insulin is driving BG down, you have no circulating glucose. So in order to get glucose, the body will start looking at your fat reserves. So I have seen that. And I've seen it work to an extent, but I've not looked at it enough to see how robust it is and whether it was just a freak on a few people or, or there were other factors that were more influential or whatever. But th there is a basic theory that if you smash your BG down, you will force more metabolism of fat. I could definitely get behind using uh, insulin um, in a dieting phase, but I would want to have a specific reason. And mm -hmm. I don't know if like it wouldn't it wouldn't be my first tool. You know what I mean? No. I wouldn't be like, okay, so I'm going to start dieting. I'm going to start a bunch of Lantus. I mean, it's, it's a low dose, I think he said. Do you say 20 units? Uh, whatever it was. I mean, the other thing is I'm just yeah, not a fan 20. of slow. I'm, I'm not a fan of anything that's slow acting. I think it could be great. And I think with growth, if you're running high blood sugar, you know, then there's a great reason to have an insulin in there. Um, I, I long or short. I prefer it with meals. I prefer that that direct response control you get when you have a spike and then you address it with the insulin rather than this system-wide lowering overall. Yeah, I can appreciate that. It wouldn't be my first thought, you know, in, you know, I, I don't know many people, many coaches that would say, okay, you want to diet, let's get you on 250 test and 20 units of Atlantis a day. You know, like, I just don't know. That's not a, you could try it. Uh, and I think that you could have success, but I don't see it as being like the first place I would go. No, definitely not. No, I would. I don't, there's there's a long list of things I'd be stopping at before I got there. Yeah, um, especially like for his circumstance. How about this one? He says, "Hey boys, two questions. Um, oh, what dose do you recommend for TRT? 
And he says, I used to pay Dave for plans, and he put me on four lots of uh, five grams of creatine per day. What's the reason for so much creatine when the standard is five grams? Um, that was the main thing. So I guess those were the two questions. So the creatine, you 20 grams a day. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. lot of creatine, but is that a terrible mm -hmm. idea? I, it's not bad, is it? No, so there's a synergy with creatine and AAS use. So when you run anabolics, you do go, you you will get a, a, a better advantage with increased creatine levels. Uh, personally, I would say the standard is 10, 5 pre and post, not, not 5, but yep, that's I would too. by the way. Um, I like to use monohydrate. It's cheap, it's simple. It's one of the most studied supplements out there. Um, and there's very little from a point of view of negative impacts. And, and I found that sort of higher dosing to be much more productive um, long term and also when used with, with anabolics. So that's the reason I do it. And I do it a lot. Uh, the only time I pull it is when it's starting to bother people's stomachs. Okay. But I'm yes, I'm a big fan of high dose creatine. Uh, I think it works very, very well, and I, I've I've seen some very impressive results and comebacks just with people that are natural by doing the higher doses. Yeah, I could see that. As a matter of fact, you just reminded me creatine's one of the things I can forget about sometimes. And I'm there's one guy I work with. I want to make sure that he's on creatine now. So when we're done, I'm going to talk to him and make sure he's using it. It's one of those supplements. It's we take it for granted. But it's I, been I, around, yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great compound, though. It's been around donkey's years. Very tried and tested. It's not new. It's not fancy. It is very basic, but doesn't mean it doesn't do a good job. Um, yeah. And I, I think that the extra is well worth the results it gives you. Yeah, I I started it back up for brain health. For, to help like fight off things like dementia, stuff like that. Um, it's really good for brain health, especially for the aging brain. So I would suggest everybody got on it at least five grams, five to 10 grams a day. And heck, try 20, see what you get. I've pushed it up to 20, there's no question. I've done 10 grams pre-workout and 10 grams post-workout, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer to do it four fives, but yeah, AM, pre, post, PM. Okay, and then TRT dose. You and I both know the answer to this, but let's tell him, you know, what's a good TRT dose, Steve? 500 milligrams of trend. Oh, come on. Uh, well, I, I start at 60 milligrams twice a week if it's single ester, and then I'll wait six weeks and then check the trough and peak and adjust where necessary. Yep. To like, for what do you adjust I, for to keep it where? So, I like to run in Nmol twenty two twenty five. Okay, I find that gives the best balance of adulteration on other blood markers, but with a feel good fact. I find as well that when people try and run in the twenty nine thirty, bear in mind UK range is twenty nine upper limit, that they actually tend to start having libido issues. And when I get them to pull it back down into the mid-20s, the libido issues improve. Um, so, I, yeah, I just find 2024 is a really nice, sweet spot. It's enough to feel good, but still be normal um, and not have un, 
realistic expectations out there. I think a lot of people, though, as well, have unrealistic expectations of TRT. And, and they want to feel supercharged all the time. And unfortunately, that is uh, a, sh- a short economics there. You're not going to get away that for very long. And unfortunately, will turn negative relatively yeah. rapid. Though I do find that the older they are, the better they tolerate a slightly higher TRT. Okay. Um, I don't know the reasoning. I can't give you reasoning for that. But I do find that as, as men get older, their estrogen levels tend to stay a bit lower uh and apart from prostate which obviously you need to keep an eye on but apart from prostate they will tolerate a higher trt than someone who's sort of 30s you know around that age i find that for older guys that's where uh blood thickness starts happening more when they're on like out of range high levels you're talking about still in range or what are you saying here yeah i'm I'm sort of like pushing more towards the upper limit rather than keeping it sort of you know a good 10, 15% below. All right. I know, Dave, you just did a, um, a rant on uh, social media about <laughs> hematocrit. We had a hematocrit question here, um, or a blood thickness question. Casey Young says, um, um, how much water should a bodybuilder drink before a blood donation to help pass, oh, to help pass the test? Um, you know, I thought he was saying how much should he drink before doing a donation. Um, right. So... When so what they can do in in the UK quite often is they'll do a finger prick test to see where your hemoglobin is. Yeah, and if you're above one eighty, they will not let you donate. Um, hydration is not going to have a huge impact on that. To be honest, it will have some, but not massive. Um, so there's four components to blood: plasma, white cells, red cells, and platelets. That's effectively it. Plasma concentration is affected by hydration. Um, HCT or hematocrit is a measurement of how many red cells in a given blood of blood. So if you increase the volume of that blood through hydration, then the hematocrit level will come down because you're diluting the number of red cells in a given volume slightly. If you're dehydrated, the number of red cells in a given volume of blood will increase. So as a result, your HCT will go up. Uh, But hemoglobin is the amount of heme in the blood. As a result, that is, though it is impacted with hydration to an extent, it's not as significant as HCT. So hyperhydrating before a bloodlet is going to lower levels slightly for testing if you're going for the NHS, but well, if you're going through blood donation ranks, but not massively. Uh, but it is, talking about hydration, it is very important to hydrate post. So when you have a bloodlet, blood donation, you don't thin the blood at that point. So you remove a pint of blood, and with that pint of blood, you remove plasma, red, white, and platelets. But at that point, even though that pint's gone, your blood thickness is exactly the same. There's just less blood. Your plasma is replaced within 24 hours. When that pint of extra plasma is put back into the system, that effectively dilutes the remaining blood. So now you have back to your full volume of blood but you have less material circulating so it's diluted and at that point is where you see the lowering of blood thickness 
So it is important that you hydrate post-let. You know what the worst is? When you go to donate blood or do therapeutic phlebotomy and your blood is so thick that it doesn't want to flow, that is the worst. And you've got to remember that that is a effing big needle they're using. You start clotting a 16-gauge, then you've got problems. Yeah. <laughs> but I, also, uh, I found a trick going into that is number one when you're going to do phlebotomy when i when i was doing it regularly because my test was high um i would drink as much water as i could beforehand and i would take a baby aspirin and that worked like a charm there's two things that people get very confused about clotting is linked to platelets okay uh, an increase in blood thickness, an increase in red blood cells and hemoglobin means your blood is thicker. And as a result, yes, there is a clotting increase risk, but clotting is, is down to platelets. So when if you can improve the flow on a blood donation or a phlebotomy by taking aspirin, because it will reduce platelets and therefore reduce the chances of the blood clotting, and hydration will also improve blood flow. It also improves the vascularity. So it makes it easier for the blotomist to get the blood, the, the, the vein to pump. If you're dehydrated, you'll find your veins are flat and it's, it's harder for, for a blotomist to get a vein to work. Fear is another thing that flattens veins, actually, when people are scared of needles. I can see or that. Scared, scared of giving blood. You actually see veins retract when a needle goes near them. It's quite weird to watch. Ugh. Hey, how about this? Dave's wife went to visit um, the elephants in the wild. And, and I see me. I see uh, Dave's wife and three elephants standing there. Yes. I went to see family. Man, look at those mountains in the background. How was your trip? Stunning. Absolutely yeah? stunning. Uh, what did you do? And, so we flew out to Dubai, then Dubai to Bangkok. Um, Bangkok was a bit mad. Um, it's just, it is it is quite a full-on place. Um, so we actually stopped at the wrong hotel. There's two hotels with the same name, and I, I we'd told the, the girl that sorts our travel out that we wanted to stop in the, the Rembrandt in Bangkok, and she put us in the Rembrandt suites, thinking we were getting a suite. It's not. It's a bit like a self-cating apartment, and they're a bit shit. <laughs> oh, jeez. But it, well, it was no asshole, to be honest. It was only somewhere to get over jet lag crash, and, and we just bounced around Bangkok for two days. Went to a place called M-Sphere, which is like a new shopping center that's open, which was incredible. Absolutely mad place. Um, and we saw a few things, and and then we went to a place called um, Kaolak, which is in... It's a an area of great beauty okay and we had a, a we had a place on the beach from there um that was lovely um there was a bit of screw up there actually in the the room we were supposed to get we didn't get until after we'd been there four days <laughs> uh but the hotel in bangkok our last got electrocuted because there was faulty wiring on the lamp and then we got to the new hotel and she slipped a split her head open and ended up with seven stitches. You're kidding. She had to get stitches in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, so we did nine days there. 
And then we went to a place called Elephant Hills, <coughs> which is a bit of an elephant sanctuary. Um, and then we went up to the rainforest camp for a few days as well. But um, so... Um, Wait, when you say camped, was- were you like in a tent? We were. Well, we were in a tent in both. So Elephant Hills is tents, but they're big things and they've got full bathrooms. Oh, okay. So it's not like uh, a and, pup tent where you're crawling no, in no. with a sleeping bag. No, no, no. Uh, but Luxury when tents. We go, when we went Glamping. to the rainforest, the, the tents on the rainforest are sat on pontoons floating in a lake. Oh, wow. Um, and um, it's all wind and solar power, so you've got it's, that's quite limited. So there's no air con in any of these. These are all just, you know, you've got one fan and that's it. Yeah. Um, but the scenery was incredible. Um, when we went into the interior, I mean, Thailand, I love Thailand anyway. Uh, we, we went down to Patong Beach one day, I had a car, and it, it's a shithole. Uh, I, I just don't like it. It's just, it's sex trade. It's, it's knockoff oh. watches. It's, it's everything that's bad about Thailand. Okay. But the areas we were at were stunning, absolutely stunning, amazing people. The elephants were were incredible. Uh, I mean, I was waking up listening to Gibbons in the morning, you know, howling and, and mad stuff like that. They have a lot of um, monitor lizards over there, and they get quite big. Oh. They get two, two, three feet. So uh, yeah, we saw those in Australia. There was monitor lizards like along the hiking mm-hmm. trails in one area. It's crazy yeah, to see. What else did you see? Uh, monkeys. Uh, they've okay. got f- f- gibbons. And then there's um, a short tail and a long tail of another monkey that I can't remember which one it was. We went to Monkey Temple as well, which is basically a Buddhist temple inside a cave. Yeah. It's just, just uh, there's a big troop of monkeys that live there. Let me see if I can pull a picture uh, of that up. Um, we went to James Bond Island, the, the island out of the man with the golden gun. Uh, went went to a few places to be fair, but when we went into the interior, that was just fantastic. Uh, loads of snakes, butterflies, saw a crocodile. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> swam so, past the boat. <laughs> you saw like this kind of monkey? Was this one of the yeah, monkeys yeah. you saw? Yeah, 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 loads of them. They're neat, man. Monkeys are crazy little creatures. Yeah, the 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 one thing that I found very surprising was how noisy the rainforest was. And I don't mean just from animals. So you get a lot of wild bamboo uh, and it grows to probably that thick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's probably 25, 30 foot high. Okay. When the wind blows, that makes a huge racket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly Uh, what you're talking about. You know, it makes a, it's quite noisy, and then you'll hear a crashing noise as one of the big palm leaf branches has fallen off a tree. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the, the, yeah, the rainforest, it, and I know this sounds stupid, but it's incredibly untidy. There's just debris and shit everywhere. Uh, um, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's plants and stuff like that, but that's, that's, that's what it's really like. And obviously, never living in that environment, never seeing that environment, it, it was just a bit, oh, never expected that, actually. You know, but you mean you like, like it, branches possible. and bark you don't mean like can- candy wrappers no yeah no i just mean like plant debris but there's yeah. just so much stuff everywhere this is why you travel by boat so often because trying to get through on a road is just not possible so um so you do a lot of lot of lot of movement around by boat but um 
it was just fantastic. And I, I genuinely feel incredibly privileged to have been able to go and experience it. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. Like most people in, in most people here in the U.S., because Thailand's even further for us, you know, like you're in a place that most people will never get a chance to visit in their lives, their whole lifetime. They might never see that. So it is you were very lucky. That's very cool. I'm happy for you guys. Going into the interior was fantastic, and then we saw fish eagles and various other birds of prey. Huh. Um, mud skippers, crabs, um, jellyfish eggs. And the fish in the lake where we went to the rainforest camp were big. I mean, they were you know, two, two and a half foot long. Really? Uh, and because they're not fished they've got no fear of people whatsoever so you can literally oh. feed them by hand and they'll come out of the water and take food out of your hand so you saw these guys this is a fish eagle it says yep yep golden very bright gold color huh. uh, stunning what kind of fish were those big fish in the water so they look like some sort of carp Oh, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Because I've watched all the, like, fishing shows with Victoria. We like to watch, like, the strange river monsters and those kinds of things. So I've seen stuff like that. Yeah, so they they look like a black carp. Um, And then there was was quite a large sort of flat piranha. It wasn't a piranha, nowhere near, but it was that sort of shape-looking fish as well. That was that. I don't know what that was, um, but yeah, they. I mean, you'd get in the water at the, the rainforest, and the fish would just literally swim past you. They didn't give a shit. weren't interested in the slightest. Did you see? Uh, one of, is this the fish? Look at these. This is a black carp from Thailand. Not quite that big, but yes, they. They. I think that would have been what they were. They That's were about wild. Two and, about two foot, two and a half foot. Okay, he's got almost like a purple tail and purple lips. I love fish. Yeah, there, was, there, there was, but it was just mad that because they don't get a lot of human contact, they're not, they, do, they weren't bothered by us at all whatsoever. And yeah. they'd learned that if they swam near the camp, they'd get food. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so they, they, they'd be there all the time just looking for food. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, say, it was, was the, the scenery is just stunning absolutely stunning that's cool and it's it's the other thing is it's it's actually quite dark in a rainforest which i didn't oh. think of either. oh yeah yeah like really really dark and there's no city light pollution or little of it i'm sure well, right it, it's not that there's no fucking sunlight because there's oh. so much foliage oh you end. mean you mean during the day <laughs> yeah during the day it's surprisingly dark yeah yeah <coughs> But so, yeah, no, fantastic. Apart from mosquitoes, I must admit, I've I've learned an, an extra new hatred for them little bastards. Uh, did you have to get any shots or anything to go there? Any kind of no, vaccinations? Um, so D, which is a, a mosquito repellent, for those that may not know, yeah, uh, it's it's banned in the UK. Yeah, it's it's right. uh, it's here, but we're not really supposed to use it on your skin or anything like that. We have no, it. Well, yeah. it, it's ninety five percent in the sprays over there. Yeah. And we were spraying this shit on. Oh. Um, uh, and it's like, you know, and just covering it because we were getting eaten if we didn't. Uh, and it's melting the plastic wrapper that's on the bloody bottle. And I'm thinking, I'm putting this shit on my skin and it's melting the plastic wrapper yeah. off the bottle we're using. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like I say, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I loved every minute of it. Um, I, I un. I un- <sighs> I couldn't particularly understand living somewhere 
like Bangkok and stuff. It's just not me. But when I went into the interior, it was like, yeah, I could live out here, no problem. So yeah, get like a little village mm. hut. Get some. Mm. Oh, we yeah, need definitely. to get some sort of satellite Wi-Fi for you, some sort of satellite internet, so we can still do the show. We got like monkeys but, out your window and stuff. Let's do it. Dave's moving. But, yeah, no, it, it's um, no. It was uh, enjoyed it very right. much. So. Well, I got one more and, question for you. Oh, elephants, what? Uh, Asian elephants are incredibly clever. Yeah. Why? What did you figure out with them? Well, no. It's, so they they're weird because their their skin's quite smooth, but okay. obviously the wrinkles are rough and their hairs are very rough. Yeah. But they they have quite strong personalities and they have um, they have of very obvious food likes. So we were feeding them and we had pineapple, sugarcane ripe bananas and unripe bananas and it actually may have been that elephant she didn't like unripe bananas so you'd give her an unripe banana and she'd just put it on the floor at the side of her you give her a ripe banana and she'd eat it okay um and they just you just you put it you actually just put it on the inside of their trunk and then they just grab it and put it throw it in the mouth now do you need to peel it or do they eat the whole thing or how's that no, work they, yeah it's just eat the whole thing okay uh, yeah, I literally didn't know how that worked. But they're all they're all retired working elephants, and a large number of the elephants in in Thailand, they have a very strong culture with elephants and have a very strong history with elephants. And elephants are very much respected. Okay. Uh, and you see the elephants pushing logs and stuff, and you sort of think it's cruel. But the, what they won't do is they won't chain one. Yeah. So that's an Indian thing. Indians chain elephants, but Thailand don't. They think that's wrong. Oh really? But they they have this belief that if you don't care and look after your elephant, it won't work for you. Yeah. And they're like, it's a three four ton animal. If it doesn't want to do anything, it's just not going to do it. Huh? You you could hit it with a stick all day long; it wouldn't feel it. Yeah. So he says, you know, they were telling us that they work, but they work. It's, it is a relationship. So they care, huh. feed for them, and look after them in return for the elephant helping them. They're really smart animals, just elephants mm. in general. They're they're crazy smart. They they they're one of the few animals that can recognize uh, their own bones. Like if they come across they, a, a dead elephant's bones, they'll know what it is. You there? Then they generally work the females. They don't tend to work the bulls because obviously when the bulls go into musk, they're they're a bit uncontrollable. Oh yeah, I could imagine that. I would not want to get uh, in the way of a horny elephant. That's all I know. But yeah, they they were they were fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I was kind of wondering this myself. I know the answer is probably no. Somebody asked, um, "Can we expect new artwork from Uncle Dave?" Let me ask you this. I'll ask you this way: Did you feel inspired to draw when you saw how beautiful they were in person and stuff, and interacted with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. It's t- it's time. Uh, the I, yeah. I enjoyed writing. It's just time, uh, and I have I have thought a few times. You know, I'd like to get a new piece on the go. But it is just time. But I, I would genuinely like to draw from some of the photographs I picked up and, and then send it back to the sanctuary place. Oh, that would be cool, man. They would yeah. I'm sure they would love that. I, I would I would definitely like to do that. But but elephants, um yeah, they were they were they were fantastic. I I wish I could have had more time with them, but it is what it is. Well, guys, we like a tradition here uh, at the end of the show. We ask for some Uncle Davey advice. And uh, you've had some time to think. You've had time to ponder. You've traveled the world, Dave. (laughs) 
yeah. Um, I, I think we... what? So, Thailand, it's not as cheap as it used to be. Okay. Um, but it is still... I mean, the average monthly wage in Thailand is around 10,000 baht. So, the Thai currency is the Thai baht. Um, one English pound is 42, 43 Thai baht. Okay. So their Avali Munch's salary is roughly 230 pounds. Um, so we look at these places when we go on holiday. I was fucking hell, I can, it's so cheap. I can get this and I can get that. But I, th- what I, what I found very impressive over there was, they're very appreciative and they they're in general very happy even though they they don't have all the trappings of the western world Hmm. uh and it just you know what we i think sometimes we forget to appreciate what we do have and where we are and and it's it's sometimes it's the, the though it was an amazing holiday beautiful scenery loved laying on the beach and then you're just soaking up the atmosphere and enjoying what i could see it also brought up um, how privileged I actually am. Yeah. Uh, and I felt very privileged to actually be able to experience it. Uh, and I think that's something we forget. I think we, 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 and sometimes we just need to sit back and, and actually appreciate what we do have rather than sit and moaning about what we don't have. And I'm guilty of moaning about work. I'm guilty of moaning about what I have to do to, to get through work. Uh, and yes, you know, sometimes there are days when people test my patience because it's the same daft question for the 50th time that day. Um, or it's questions that are answered on websites or on social media, you know, and stuff that we put out. But at the same time, it's like, but without all that, I wouldn't be able to experience what I do. And I've come back very much with a I think it's very easy to look at work as a chore where now I'm, I mean, this will probably go in three weeks time and I'll be pissed <laughs> off again, but I, I, I now look at work as a privilege because yeah. it enables me to do something that enables me to experience amazing things. <clears throat> so at the moment I am very much on a positive vibe and I am very much a case of, Work has not changed. Work is exactly the same, and I've got an absolute mountain still to get through today. But I'm looking at it as an opportunity to further myself rather than a chore that must be done. Yeah, it's good attitude. Uh, and it's the same work, just a different mental approach. And and I think I, I believe there's two keys to happiness. One is honesty, and, and two is actually your state of mind. Yeah. Um, so I think if you look at the benefits of what you do rather than the negatives of what you do, it makes things much more endurable. Well, that's a good way to end the uh, show. Apart from that bloody shirt. We'll get you one of these shirts, Dave. I just have to wait for no. them to go on clearance so I can get one yeah. for cheap for you. You're too, too cheap to spend <laughs> any money on me. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, check out evalbloodanalysis.com. And Dave, are you taking new clients right now? 
Very much so, actually. Yes, very, very much so. Uh, I've got a. Oh, actually, yeah, I forgot. I've got a couple of things. If if we've got time, am I allowed to do a little bit of self promotion? Mm, so I've got my. Yes. I've got my full coaching. I've got drug drug and health only coaching, and obviously just cycle plans. For UK only, I'm going to start doing training workshops. There'll be full day events. Ooh. Food will be included. There'll be about an hour and a half of classroom first, and then it'll be a lot of one to one. They are never going to be more than 10 people so that I can spend the one-to-one time with everybody. Uh, and we will cover both the basics and then specific exercises. But we'll also go through how hard a set needs to be. So exactly what we were talking about earlier in the show. Yeah. Starting to put together for a new pillars. So if anybody's interested in that, that's seven, eight weeks. Uh, it's not cheap. Yeah, ban that person from the show, please. <laughs> I'm a fan of the flannel shirt, Scott. We, we, as often so, as sorry, we, we can't have people with mental health problems on this show like that. That's not happening. Nutters need to go somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, so um, definitely take it on, coach, um, on clients for coaching. But also I'll be – I think the first workshop is probably going to be the 4th of Feb at Old Flex in Rotherham. Uh, it ain't going to be bloody cheap, but then I suppose if you think of it relatively, you got your lunch, you've got £15 gym entry included in the price, and it's going to be 249 quid, but it's going to be a 10-hour day. If you can do 10 hours with Dave, and you come away from that having turned on a light bulb that changes your training, that will affect the rest of your bodybuilding so i think that that's well worth it plus it'd be an opportunity to, it'd just be fun so I, I i can see that being and it sounds like a really good value too um, and you can see how, you can see how fat i am in person as well <laughs> you look like you've gotten leaner though overall people are always no. asking still like have you been dieting i mean i'm sure you went off for your holiday and stuff but i was actually quite good you know i wasn't bad at all i actually behaved myself quite well yeah. um yeah, I did. Uh, I've probably done worse since I got back. The last three days have been absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> but I am back doing my cardio, so I am back uh, getting on top of things. Good, good, because we need you here a long time. You need to you need to be able to get through with uh, work so that you can retire, and then you can get back to drawing and relaxing and enjoying life, you know? <laughs> yeah, no... Um... No, things are good. Things are good. Um, I'm, I'm actually no, no major, major big announcements for 24. Just more of the same. But uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. Ask me in six weeks' time; it might be a different story. But yeah, uh, I need. I'll probably need reminding that this is actually, you know, I am very lucky. Well, we've got this recorded. I, I can always like just, dr- just pull a little bite out, <laughs> and when you're complaining about life, I can just drop that in. Yeah, no, it's true, because I do think sometimes we just need reminded. We all do. It's not just you. I wanted to mention, uh, truenutrition.com, that if you if you need an intra workout, check out their highly branched cyclic dextrin. What I'm seeing nowadays is a lot of these companies are charging you the cost of a full scoop of highly branched cyclic dextrin, which is like 25 grams, 30 grams of carbs, yet they're giving you 
10 to 15 grams of highly branched cyclic dextrin, and then the rest of it is cheap dextrose. There is benefits to using dextrose with your highly branched cyclic dextrin, but dextrose is cheap. You can buy a big bag of it for like a pound or two, I think, from True Nutrition for like under 10 bucks. So if you want to add in dextrose to your highly branched cyclic dextrin, go for it. But don't don't pay for a company that is charging you $50, $60 for a 30-serving tub that only has 10 to 15 grams. I'm going to throw that out there to you. Use our code THINK to let them know that you support our programming. And Strom Sports Nutrition, for those of you in the UK, they have some just out-of-this-world supplements, especially for guys that are running super supplements. You guys need to check them out and supplementsource.ca. We got through the Patreon questions today and we will have more of those. Guys, comment below on YouTube. We need to fill this next episode up. We're going to need your questions and uh, we'll look forward to getting back to it. For another episode of Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland, we will see you soon. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure.